You're listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim. Hi, I'm your host, Greg McKim. On this show, we talk about almost anything and everything related to owning a home. Buying, selling, financing, insurance, maintenance, remodeling, and new construction, rental properties, and flipping, single-family homes, condos, townhomes. If it's related to a home, we talk about it. I've worked in real estate industries since the late 70s. Yep, I'm that old. My experience includes everything from swinging a hammer to owning a mortgage company. I'm a licensed real estate broker and loan originator. Of course, I don't claim to know everything about homes, but I know quite a bit, and I'm here to share it with you. For those areas I'm not an expert in, I bring in guests. I hope also and expect to learn from my listeners, so I look forward to your calls. Today I was going to have a guest who has experience buying foreclosure properties, but he couldn't make it. So instead, I'm going to teach you something near and dear to my heart, which is how to shop for a home loan. This is condensed from a four-hour seminar I created back in 1992. So let's get started. As a consumer, you have lots of options. You can go to your bank, credit union, a referral from someone, or shop online for loans. Let's talk about the three primary places you can obtain a home loan. One is directly from a bank or a credit union, that's number two, or through a mortgage broker. So what's the difference between a mortgage broker and a bank? I work for a mortgage broker, Loanzilla, and I've worked for mortgage brokers since 1991. I would say that there are pros and cons to going to a mortgage broker versus a bank. For instance, if you go to a bank, Sometimes they offer special products and special fees and special rates that mortgage brokers don't have access to. Typically, if you go to your bank, you know them and you're familiar with them. Some of the advantages of working with a mortgage broker are that we typically have more options. For instance, the mortgage broker I work for, Loanzilla, we're approved with about 12 different lenders. So we have more options, and because of that, we can shop around and sometimes be more competitive than a bank. However, As a consumer advocate, I would encourage you to both explore your own bank, other banks, and mortgage brokers. Let's talk a little bit more about a mortgage broker versus a bank. Some people have asked me, well, why don't I go straight to the bank and cut out the middleman, cut out the mortgage broker? Seems like a valid, fair question. In reality, the mortgage broker doesn't add an additional cost to the loan process because we get the money from lenders at a wholesale price. For instance, if you were to go buy a Dell computer directly from Dell versus buying it at Walmart, which a while back they were selling through Walmart, you're not going to pay more in either place, or maybe it's going to be close because Dell offers those computers to Walmart at a discount wholesale so Walmart can do a markup. Why would Dell do that, or why would lender do that? Because they can expand their distribution. They can have more outlets and not have the overhead of having their own people do the work. They shift the overhead to the mortgage broker or to Walmart, and then Walmart or the mortgage broker makes their money off of the difference. So before we get into some of the nitty-gritty about comparing lenders and how to shop for things, I'm going to tell you what I think are the eight biggest mistakes people make when they're shopping for a home loan. Keep in mind, I've been doing this for a living since 1991, so I've seen a lot of things happening and a lot of different changes in the industry, but most of these things still hold true. The number one thing that I find people do 
But f- first mistake is they start the loan shopping process too late, particularly if they're shopping for a home to purchase. It doesn't matter as much when you're refinancing, but when you're shopping for a home to purchase, if you start the loan shopping process after you're in contract to buy the home, it's too late. Let me explain why. In the contract, most real estate contracts, everyone that is, every contract in this area that's done by a, a form that's part of the, the, the multiple listing forms, there's a clause in there that says you have to apply for a loan within five business days from the time you're in contract, mutual agreement with the seller. Five business days. After that time, you have to get written permission from the seller to change lenders. Not that they won't give it to you, but that clearly hobbles your ability to get things done. Plus, there are other timelines that have to be met for you to stay in contract. So doing the shopping after you've gotten into contract to buy a house, there's time constrictions, and it's also a lot of other things going on. You're getting a home inspection. You're thinking about moving. Get the shopping done ahead of time. And I have some very specific tools and ways to do that, which I'll share later in the show and or on another show. Another problem that people have is they make the mistake of shopping for interest rates. Whoa, wait a second, Greg. Shouldn't I always shop for interest rates? No, you should never shop for interest rates. That might go against everything you've ever been told or anything else people teach you, but I will show you why and why I would never shop for interest rates in a minute. Third reason is that when you're doing the shopping, if some people take too long to shop, they'll shop for weeks. And if they had simply locked their rate in with the most expensive person they talked to three weeks ago, it, it would be cheaper than the least expensive place that they end up with. Now, that can vary based on what direction interest rates are going and so forth, but it's really important to understand the interest rate environment and what locking's all about so you don't make that mistake. Another problem, I will say this is number, let's see, I cover one, two, oh, number four, asking for a rate quote or a loan estimate without setting up proper parameters. If you just ask for a rate quote or a loan estimate out of the blue, you'll get all kinds of different documents, and it's hard to compare because you're comparing apples and oranges. If you're not comparing apples to apples, it's very difficult to make decisions. Whenever you're making a buying decision, ideally, you want to narrow it down to one variable only. It's a lot easier to compare one thing than multiple things. I'll show you how to set up the parameters so you can narrow it down to one variable so you can make good, easy decisions. Number five is being sold a loan. Now, lenders are in the business of, of selling loans. By the way, there are many ethical, honest, hardworking, wonderful people in the mortgage business. But as a general rule, banks are in the business of selling loans. People who work for banks are in the business of selling loans. And oftentimes, people get sold loans that are not appropriate from them, for them, I should say. The most conspicuous one in my mind is what they call the no-fee or no-cost loan. On my last show uh, a week ago, I talked about how it does not exist. There is no such thing. But people get sold no-cost loans routinely. I can talk about that a little bit more today. But if you listen to my podcast from last week, I go into great depth and detail about the myth of no-cost loans. Number six, not knowing how to properly read a loan estimate or loan quote. Similar to not setting up the proper parameters, but if you don't even know what you have in your hand, 
And I have people call me all the time. They say, why does this loan quote have this on it and this one doesn't? It's because of interpretations of various laws and various regulations. Some lenders will, will put something on the quote that they think is needs to be there that doesn't really need to be there for a certain state. Very confusing. You need to understand the terminology and what to look for. Number seven, using the annual percentage rate to compare rates and fees. I, again, I covered this in my last show, if you want to listen to the podcast, about why you should never use the annual percentage rate, the APR, for any reason. I don't care who tells you to use it, who care, tells you that it's, that it's accurate. It is a not inaccurate. It's, it's misleading. And nobody that I know of in the mortgage industry ever uses it for shopping for home loans. Last but not least, mistake number eight, not spending enough time to really review and understand the true cost of a loan over the term you plan to hold it. Sometimes people get enticed to do certain things on loans because they're sold on a no-cost loan or a low APR. In reality, they shouldn't have done it because they didn't think, how long am I going to own this property? Am I going to refinance it? Am I going to pay the mortgage off? Those are the eight biggest mistakes that people make. Before I get into explaining how to avoid some of these mistakes, I'm going to tell you what I believe, my personal opinion, six reasons why lenders don't show you how to effectively shop for a home loan. Again, this isn't malicious. Again, there are lots of wonderful people, and I know them in the mortgage industry, who will spend many hours explaining things to you. But as a general rule, number one, rather than show you how to shop for a loan, lenders prefer to advertise, and you'll hear it all the time, we have the lowest rates in town. We have low rates. We have no-cost loans. They're in the business of selling loans. Number two, very few lenders are actually motivated to teach you. They're in the business of making money by selling loans, not in the business of educating consumers. Number three, it takes time, a lot of time to teach people how to properly shop for a loan. And most lenders, again, want to get a loan, get it going, get it closed as soon as possible. Number four, teaching you how to shop for a loan requires tools. It requires visual aids. It requires a system to help people effectively do it. Most lenders don't possess that. More, most lenders also, number five, make more money. This, is, this, is, this sounds a little, uh, I guess, malicious, but a lenders do make more money by consumers not being informed. Whether they sit down and you know, twiddle their thumbs and have evil cackles in the back room about it, I doubt. But a lender, if you don't understand how to shop for a loan, there's a better chance they're going to make a higher profit off of you. Number six, lenders are allowed by law to hide the true cost of a loan and even how much they earn on a loan from consumers. Personally, I feel this is wrong, and therefore I always explain to my customers exactly what we earn on a loan, what their options are, and try to help them understand the true cost of a loan over the term that they plan to keep it. So we covered the eight mistakes that people make when they're shopping for a loan and the six reasons why I think lenders don't show people how to shop for loans. So I want to go back now and talk a little bit about how to compare lenders. You're out looking at loans. You might talk to a bank, a credit union, maybe a mortgage broker. And here are the four main components that you're looking for. Number one, what type of loan products do they offer? Not everybody carries every loan product. A loan product would be, say, a conventional mortgage versus an FHA loan or a VA loan or a USDA loan. There are multiple types of loan products. 
The second thing you're looking for, well, unfortunately, you really shouldn't be, but this is what consumers do. People are looking at rates. The third thing, closing costs. And last of all, well, maybe not least, service. What kind of financial advice does the person or the company give me? What, what, what do I know about their integrity? Will they close my loan on time? Ultimately, what you're looking for, just like I do, whenever I make any buying decision, is value. Now, it's simple to do with certain things, like buying maybe, I don't know, it's not that complicated, buying a, buying a flat-screen TV. But home mortgages are complicated. I get that. People get lost very rapidly. I'm going to try and make it a little bit simpler with the following analogy. Unfortunately, I don't have a visual here, so I'm going to do my best to explain it verbally. Let's say you're going to go to an office supply store and buy a pen. First thing you do is you figure out what kind of pen you want. Do I want a ballpoint pen? Do I want a highlighter with the big, you know, wide yellow highlights? Or do I want a real fancy pen like a fountain pen that I put on a desk and I dip into an inkwell? So you, you decide what type of pen you want. Let's say you want to get just a regular ballpoint pen. You might narrow that down to one that has a clicker versus one that has, you know, it takes a little cap off. So you've narrowed down the product, and now you have the product. The next thing you do, you've decided what product you want. You decide what features you want. And let's just narrow that down to one really simple feature, color. You have a black, blue, or red. Those are the three colors you get to choose from. So now you've picked those. The last thing you're going to look at is really simple. It's a ballpoint pen, black ink. What's it cost me? One place charges a buck, and the other charges a buck ten. So you might think to yourself, well, I'll naturally buy the one that's a buck. But you might buy the one that's a buck ten if they ship it to your house at no charge and you live 50 miles away. That's the value proposition. So back to we had pick a product. Well, let's talk about that. We're going to pick a loan product. That's the first thing you're going to do as a consumer. What type of a loan product should I want? What do I want to get? Now, as a consumer, that's a little bit difficult. So you're going to need a professional to help you with that. Once you've picked the product, you're going to pick a feature. This is where people get lost, and I'm going to help you. The rate is a feature. It is not the price. Every lender has the same rates because rates are are set by entities that lenders don't control. So today, standard lender offers a rate right now on a 30-year mortgage between six and about three and, uh, three and three quarters. Which of those features or rates do you want to pick? Which of the color do you want, black, red, or blue? You always pick the color. You always pick the rate. Third, the cost. The pen either costs a buck or it costs a buck ten. The loan product you picked with the feature of, say, a rate of five, what's the cost? One lender charges $1,000 for that rate. Another lender charges $2,000 for that rate. One's 1000 higher. But the $1,000 one might, for some reason, be a better choice for you. I don't know what the reason might be. Maybe you trust them because somebody else used them. Maybe they're local and you like working with local institutions instead of online. Who knows the reason? You make that decision based on value. This is a real interesting point that I brought up, though. The rate is not the price. After the break, we're going to go into that in detail. So you are listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers 
home ownership from soup to nuts. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 right here on 1150 AM KKNW. During the show, you can call in at 425-373-5527. We'll be back after these messages. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers home ownership from soup to nuts. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 right here on 1150 AM, KKNW. During the show, you can call in at 425 373 Five five two seven, again four two five, three seven three, five five two seven. Off air, you can reach me on my cell at two zero six, two five zero, six five four five, or email G McKim. That's G M C K I M at lonezilla.com or visit lonezilla.com. As we went into the break, you might recall I was talking about how the rate is not the price. I used an analogy or I guess a, an example of buying a, a pen at the, at the um, office, office supply store. So let's get a little bit more granular about this idea of how to shop effectively for a home loan. Last week I talked briefly about why you sh- well briefly, probably about 10 minutes, about why you shouldn't use the APR. I'm going to cover that again a little bit right now for other for people that didn't hear it last week. I won't take as much time on it. First, I'm going to talk about what the APR was designed to do and why it doesn't work. I'm going to give you a specific example of why it doesn't work. It was formulated by the Federal Reserve Board to help consumers shop and compare loans using one number. Great idea. You call around and somebody says, we got a rate of 5% at $1,500. We got a rate of 4.375 at $8,000. It's like an auctioneer, right? You go out of your mind. So the Federal Reserve says, well, tell you what, let's formulate it so that a person can get one number and make accurate comparisons. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because of the way the math is set up. I call it a mathematical flaw. I guess you could debate that, but it simply doesn't work. Interesting note. No one I know in the mortgage business, ever met, ever uses the APR to shop for rates and fees. It might tell you something. If professional people don't use it, why in the world would you? In my opinion, the APR is so misleading and imprecise and not fair that if it were not the law, it would be illegal. Okay, so me up on my soapbox about the APR. I'm going to give you an example right now, but then we'll move into how to shop for loans. 
Here's an example of how the APR routinely gets misused and misdirects consumers. Consumer contacts lender A. Lender A says our APR is 5.625. Consumer writes that down and calls up lender B. Lender B says our APR is, oh, I didn't print it out on my worksheet. I, I, I blew it. Well, let's, I'm to, I know what it is roughly, 5.2. Which one sounds better to the consumer? 5.2. What the consumer doesn't know is that the reason the lower APR the APR is lower with lender B is because they used a lower interest rate, the actual rate you pay on the loan to quote the APR. By having the lower interest rate, it automatically skews the APR to be lower. Lender A quoted an interest rate of 5.625 with an APR of 5.625. Lender B quoted an interest rate of 5 with an interest with an APR of 5.625. 2-4, let's say. Now, if the consumer had asked lender A for their APR on a rate of 5%, now comparing apples to apples, lender B quoted an interest rate of 5, lender A is now quoting an interest rate of number 5, it turns out that lender A is actually cheaper for a rate of 5. But because the consumer started by asking for an APR, they got lost like you are probably right now. Feel free to call if you have any questions. It's pretty confusing. The bottom line is this. The way the APR is, con- is, is calculated, it takes certain upfront costs when you obtain the loan and stretches it out over the entire term of the loan, including it into the actual rate to calculate the APR. When you have a lower rate, what happens is that anytime you have a lower rate, even if you have higher costs, the APR looks lower than the APR on a higher rate. In the example I just gave you, if you'd gone to lender A and asked them to quote you an APR on a rate of five, that lender would have been $500 less than lender B. The problem is that if you just stick with the APR, you ask lender B and lender A to quote you an APR based on the interest rate of five, you make apples to apples interest rate. Give me an APR for five, Give me an APR for five. The APR itself is not precise enough to help you make a buying decision. The APR for lender B might be 5.2, lender A 5.19. No consumer that I know of can make a buying decision off that. That $500 you can make a buying decision on, and that's why you don't use the APR. Use a number that you are familiar with, which are dollars and cents. When you buy things at the grocery store, you use money. So that's why you shouldn't use the APR. I'd be more than happy to elaborate on that. Anybody wants to talk to me about it, and I plan to put this up in detail on my website at some point. I haven't done it yet. So back to the rate is not the price. How do I shop for home loans as a mortgage professional? First of all, I pick a loan product. We already did that. Let's pick a 20% down conventional loan product. Then I look at a range of rates that are available to me every day through the lenders because the lenders always offer a range of rates. Say today, for practical purposes, it's between 5.5 and 4.5. Then I pick one of those rates. There's different reasons to pick different rates. We can talk about that another time. If I have time today, I will. But let's just say, for whatever your reasons are, you pick 5. Now, this is how simple it gets. Back to the pen analogy. I picked a type of pen. 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. 
I picked a color, red. I picked the interest rate, co- which is a color, five. Now all I'm doing is comparing the fees because that's the only difference between one lender and another. Lenders make their monies off, off of fees, not off of the rates, with exceptions. But for, the, for our purposes, 90% of all lenders make their monies off money, I should say, off of fees, not rates. Again, I explained that in detail last week. Go to the podcast if you want more information. So you want to compare the fees, not the rates. It's very simple. Now, how do you make that, how do you convey that to someone you're shopping with or shopping? It's hard because they don't get those kind of questions from consumers. They, the questions they get are, can you give me a, a, a rate quote? Can you give me a quote? And then they just send them off whatever sounds good, either an APR that's low or no fee or no cost because people like the idea of no fee, no cost. So what you want to do, and I have a, a, a cheat sheet for this, you want to set your own parameters. And it's not that tough. I'll give you examples on the parameter sheet that I give my clients. I encourage my clients to shop me. Why? Because if they shop around, they find that I'm fair and competitive, it makes them feel good about their buying decision. I want my clients to feel like they're making a good decision to work with me. So let's go through some of the things you will put in writing to a lender you're asking a quote from. Very very basic information. What type of transaction am I doing? I am buying a home. What type of of a property? A single family home. Am I going to live in it, or is it an investment rental property? I'm living in it. You go down the list like that. Again, I'll help you with this, and at some point I'll have it published on my website. But you set up very specific specific parameters, things like what your middle credit score is, if you know what it is, whether you're self-employed, whether you're salaried. Those things help. They're not critical, but the more information you give, the better. One of the most important things, though, that gets overlooked all the time is that you must get quotes from the same day. If you get a quote from somebody on Friday, Monday, the price of that loan, whatever rate you picked, 5%, may have and most likely will have changed. Might just be a little bit, but it almost always changes. So unless you get quotes from the same day, you will not have fair and accurate information. Very straightforward. And in any mortgage bank, mortgage lender, can give you quotes from prior days. If you call somebody on a Friday or send them an email and, then you, and you don't get an answer back till Monday, make sure that they tell you, yeah, I quoted you from Friday. The next really important component, one of the parameters you need to set, other than just the day, is the lock period. Most people don't understand how locks work, so let's take a little tangent here. We use the term inaccurately, lock the rate. You're not locking the rate. The rate's not going to change. In fact, the interest rates that are available now have been available as long as I can remember, almost. The, the upper and lower end of the range will change very slowly over time. When I got in the business, it was like thir- about 11 to 9. But it, for the last 10 years, it's been eh, between 6 and 3. What changes every single day is the value of that rate in what we call the price. In the mortgage industry, we don't talk about rates. We talk about price. If the price gets worse, that means that a given rate costs more. If the price gets better, that means a given rate costs less. Sometimes the rates don't cost anything at all. In fact, the lender instead is giving a credit because the rate is so profitable. A higher rate is more profitable to the ultimate owner of that loan that they will give you a premium or give you a credit for having taken the higher rate. 
So that price changes every day. So, and it also changes based on how long you lock in the price because you don't really lock in the rate. You lock in the price. By the way, why do you have to lock the price? You go to closing. It can't be changing. There has to be some sort of a guarantee as to what the rate and the price, more importantly, is going to be because you can't have it change right in the middle of signing things. And the prices usually are locked for 10, 12, 15, 30, 45, 60 days. Most people lock the price, which is the more accurate way to put it, on 30 to 45-day periods. Why? Because when pricing gets worse, it gets worse much more rapidly than it gets better. That's just the nature of lending institutions. When, when lenders think they're going to lose money, or actually it's not the lender, it's the, the bondholder who gives the money to the lender, but when, when the market thinks that things are going in a bad direction, they raise the price much faster than it comes down. So it's risky to take, wait for a shorter lock. Shorter locks do cost less. Okay, enough of that. Bottom line is that you have to have everybody quote from the same day, start with the same, all the same parameters, same lock period, and you are left with one thing to compare. Price. Just like you got that pen. This pen's a buck. This is a buck ten. Now you make a decision based on something that every we'd use every day of our lives, dollars and cents. Hmm, this company's $500 less. Do I want to work with them? Yeah, I want to save the $500. Nope, I don't want to for various reasons. That's up to you. So I have a, uh, a worksheet that I have my clients fill out. I actually sometimes fill it out for them. I have um, some, some a template of text to send to different lenders. You send an attachment that says, Follow these parameters precisely, and if you don't follow these parameters, I will reject your quote unless you provide one that does follow the parameters. You can say, feel free to send me other quotes and different options, but I need to have these parameters met in order to make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. So let's just do a quick recap. When shopping for a home loan, never ask for a rate quote. Tell them what rate you want and ask for a price quote or a fee quote. Never use the annual percentage rate. It's misleading. It's not precise. You can't make buying decisions using it. By the way, when you're getting quotes from different institutions, what you're comparing are only the things the lender controls. Lender controls their own fees. They control their loan origination fee, their underwriting fee, their tax service fees. Some of these things are kind of you might not be familiar with appraisal fees. They don't control the property taxes, the homeowner's insurance that you buy. They don't control the title and escrow company that you choose. And that's important for you at some point to understand. So when you're making the comparisons, ask the lender or whoever you get a quote from to separate the things that they control from the things that they're just making wild guesses or, or estimates with. That makes it easier for you to make apples to apples comparisons as well. I think I'm going to roll into another break right now. It's about time. This is a good chunk that we just did. So thank you for listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim, where we talk about almost anything and everything related to owning a home. We air each Tuesday from 3 to 4 on 1150 AM KKNW. During the show, you can call in at 425-373-5527, and we'll be right back after these messages. Thank you. 
Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. Because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Welcome back to Home Talk with Greg McKim, the show that covers homeownership from soup to nuts. We air each Tuesday at 3 o'clock on 1150 AM KKNW. During the show, you can call in at 425-373-5527. Again, 425-373-5527. Off air, you can reach me directly at 206-250-6545. Again, 206-250-6545. Or email gmckim at lonezilla.com. That's G-M-C-K-I-M at LoneZilla.com or visit LoneZilla.com. So the first two segments, I was discussing mistakes that people make shopping for a home loan, reasons I believe lenders don't teach consumers how to effectively shop for a home loan. I did an analogy, if you will, of shopping for a pen which is a simple thing to do versus shopping for a home loan, which is a complicated thing to do. And I emphasized a few things over and over again. Don't shop for rates. The rate is not the price. Do not use the annual percentage rate. Do not use the APR. I'd like to elaborate a little bit on those without sounding like a broken record, and I'll do that in a minute. But first, I'm going to review some things that I discussed on my first show last week because I think that new listeners might want to understand a little bit about why I'm doing this show, what the purpose is. So I have four primary reasons why I created this show. The number one reason for me is that I really enjoy teaching. I've been in the home industry for about 30 years. I've learned a lot, and I like teaching it to others. Unfortunately, if I'm working with one-on-one, that really limits the amount of people I can teach. So I'm hoping this show will help me reach more people. Second reason I'm doing the show is because I love learning, and I expect to hear from callers and look forward to hearing from callers who have had experience and understanding and knowledge about things in the home business that I don't. I'd love to learn and hear from you. Number three is unabashed self-promotion. To be successful in the real estate and mortgage business, most people market. I'm not a big fan of marketing. All of my business, well, I should say most of my business over the years has come word of mouth because I like to you know, do a good job, and that, that, that's, helped, that's helped me um, have a lot of referrals. But I recognize that I can do two things here. One is by teaching, I can also do some, I, I'm kind of fumbling here, but I can, if I do a good job teaching people and build some trust with the listening audience, I expect that I will uh, um, enjoy some more business from that. And number four, I have a quest and a passion. When I entered the mortgage industry in 1991, I was really, really appalled by the lack of ethics and transparency in the industry. I felt that we could do a much better job for consumers. Fortunately, because of some of the regulatory changes after 2008, there have been improvements, but I still, see, I still feel that we have a lot of room for more improvement, and I'm here to help consumers 
understand how to make good financial decisions. My number one objective is to help you make good financial decisions when you're buying a home, selling a home, or anything that has to do with home ownership. So let's go into some more detail again. I've talked repeatedly about the rate is not the price, why you shouldn't use the APR. And last week I talked a little bit about the myth of no-cost loans. So I'm going to rehash a little bit about what I discussed last week and we touched on today, which is the rate range. Most lenders, and I would say roughly 90%, have nothing to do with interest rates. They don't set the interest rates. They don't make any money off the interest rates. They simply distribute interest rates for someone else. You've probably heard of these someone else's. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are the most commonly known. Well, what are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? They're large financial institutions that securitize mortgage bonds in order to fund home loans through the banks, which are the outlets. The actual bondholder is anybody. You can go buy a mortgage-backed security from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, or you could buy gold, or you could buy antique cars. The people who buy and sell Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and other types of mortgage-backed securities are the ones who set the interest rates, not the banks. There are some exceptions to this. We're not going to talk about those exceptions because they're not the norm. So why does this matter to you? Because it helps you understand this idea that I keep preaching, which is rates come in a range and the rate is not the price. Let's pretend there's no such thing as a bank. There's no such thing as Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. There's just Greg McKim and I'm a bondholder. Actually, I have $100,000 and I don't know what to do with it. I want to invest it someplace. And you want to buy a home. And let's just pretend you want a $100,000 loan. Now, I could, again, take my 100000 and buy stocks or gold or antique cars. But I've decided I want the security of your house for my investment. So I'm going to lend you $100,000. And my investment is, it's up to me how much I'm going to make on that investment over, over time. And just for our purposes, just to pretend that I'm going to offer you three rates to choose from. You choose these, one of these three rates. Either five and a quarter, five, or four and three quarters. Why? Because that's what I'm offering. So if, if you choose five, that investment for me, my projected investment timeline, that's a good enough profit for me. So I'm not going to charge anything. And again, we're cutting out all the middleman. There's no Fannie Mae. There's no lender. There's no mortgage broker. There's no appraiser. Nothing. And that's a good enough. If you were to get that money from somebody else, they would charge you a fee because they have to work. But they, there's no fees here. What about the lower rate? 4.75. Yeah, I'll give you that rate. But I'm not making as much money as I'd hoped. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to charge you some upfront fees. They're typically called discount points. One point is 1%. Half per point is a half percent. So one point of 100000 is $1,000. So if you want a rate of 4.75, you give me $1,000 at closing, and I'll let you have the lower rate. At some point, you're going to break even and be ahead because at some point, you're going to recover that $1,000. How about the other rate, five and a quarter? Well, five and a quarter, why would you take that if you could get five or four and three quarters? Well, I'm making, as the bondholder, more money. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an incentive to give me more money. I'm going to give you $1,000. There's a couple of different terms for that. One is called yield spread premium because those are bonds always have what's called a yield or sometimes it's called a rebate. Sometimes it's called a credit. doesn't matter. It's a credit of some kind. So I give you the 1000 bucks. Well, short term, you're better off, and I'm not. Long term, you're better off because, excuse me, short term, you're better off. Long term, you're worse off because you're paying a higher. And this, by the way, is part of the whole process. When I said you buy a pen, you pick a product, and you pick a feature, most of my clients say, well, what rate should I pick? You look at the rate range with your loan officer, and you make a decision about it. You say, okay, if I take the lower rate, how long is it going to take me to recoup the money? That's a factor. Do I have the money to, to pay up front for the lower rate? That's a factor. Where are we on the overall rate cycle? For instance, when the rate range moves up and up and up, that's probably not a good time to take the lower rate because the chances are they might drop again before you recoup the money. When rates are at an all-time low, that might be the best time to spend money out of your pocket to take the lower rate. There's many, there's about three or four factors like that. So that's part of the decision-making process. When you meet with a loan officer, you should say, which rate makes the most sense? And then you shop that rate for everybody else's fees. You don't ask them what their rates are because they all have the same rates. Okay, so the bondholders. Now, here's an interesting question. Why does the price of a given rate change almost daily, sometimes, well, actually it changes all day long, constantly, just like stocks, because the bonds are traded. That's why. The lenders pass on the changes to you when it's significant enough to impact their bottom line, because they have to pay the bond investors whatever they ask for, and they pass that on to you in some fashion. So think about this for a second. I loan you $100,000. I lend you $100,000. Five years from now, you owe me, say, 95000 and you're paying me a rate of 5%. I want my money back. I come to knock on your door and say, hey, I want my $95,000 back. You say, come in and have a cup of tea. I always liked you, Greg, but I'm not giving your money back. So what am I going to do? What I'm going to do is I'm going to go sell that investment to someone else. So every day, these bonds that have been in place for a while or are brand new being issued are being traded so somebody comes along in a different time five years from now, and they say, hmm, $95,000 left on that loan, 25 years left, 5%, I'll give you X for it. And that's why interest rates don't change. The rates themselves are static. The price of that rate changes regularly as people trade these securities and trade these bonds between each other based on different, in, different investment environments different people's motivations, what people think the economy is going to do, and so forth. Well, I hope some of that makes sense. I do my best without my visuals. Say, um, let's just touch on one other thing since we have some more time here. I am going to discuss another one of uh, mortgage myths that I want to bust on my list of mortgage myths, and it's the myth of no mortgage insurance. Now, what is mortgage insurance? Anytime you put down less than 20% to purchase a home and get a loan for 80% or less, you could put down 25% or 
whenever you put down less than 20% and the lender is lending you more than 80% of the value, the lender's taking on additional risk. So what do they do to that? They cover their risk in a number of ways. One is they typically add to the price of a given rate. So a rate for a 20% down loan of five might have a cost of zero, but a discount points of zero, not cost. There's always going to be a loan fee on top of it. But discount points of zero, but if you put down 15%, it might have a half percent. So that's one way they do it. But the, the biggest cost is mortgage insurance. Now, there's all kinds of shapes and sizes and flavors and different ways to do mortgage insurance. And because lenders like to market their services, they're coming up in, of ways to do this and tweak it all the time. And one of my favorites was when they say, we don't charge mortgage insurance. Yes, they do. Anytime you put down less than 20%, they do. What they do is if they don't actually charge it to you as a separate fee, as a separate monthly item, they increase the price of the rate or increase the rate. That's not no mortgage insurance. It's built into the rate. Some people argue that that's a better way to go because if it's built into the rate or the price of the rate, it's tax deductible. I have mixed feelings about that. As a general rule, I disagree with it, and here's why. When you pay for mortgage insurance separately, not as part of your rate, at some point in the future, you should, I can't guarantee it, but you should be able to get rid of it. Most likely you can. There are some limitations on when you can't, but they're rare. When you get rid of it, it goes away. That extra cost per month goes away completely. If it's built into the rate, it never goes away unless you refinance. <laughs> you can't always count on refinancing. So it is a myth. Anybody ever tells you that they don't charge mortgage insurance, say, what are my other options? Is that because it's built into the rate? What are my other options? Now, a little aside here. A while back, jumbo lenders across the board, I've not seen one yet, quit offering third-party mortgage insurance, which means that they all build into the rate. There might be someone out there that still offers a third party, not build into the rate. If anybody knows of that lender, please call and tell me because I'd like to find them. But to my knowledge right now, jumbo loans, which are loans over a certain dollar amount, the mortgage insurance is built into the rate, which I don't like, but that's just the way it is. So in recap today, we talked about how to shop for a home loan. Started out with the eight mistakes I think people make when they're shopping for a home loan, which I will briefly go through right now. And those are, let me grab my notes here. Hang with me. One, starting too late. Two, shopping for rates instead of fees. Three, shopping instead of walking. Four, asking for a rate quote without setting up proper parameters. Five, being sold a loan instead of purchasing one. Six, not knowing how to properly read a loan quote. Seven, using the annual percentage rate to make comparisons. And eight, not spending enough time to review and understand the true cost of a loan over its term. Six reasons I think lenders aren't very effective at showing you how to shop for a home loan. One, because they like to advertise things that sound good as opposed to educating you. Two, they're not motivated to teach. Three, it takes time. Four, they have to have certain tools to do it. Five, they make more money off of 
ill-informed consumers than educated ones. And unfortunately, it's legal for lenders to hide the true cost of a loan from you, which I don't like. When we were talking about how to shop for a home loan, I, I, I used the analogy of shopping for a pen. Back to that again real quick. One, pick a product. Two, pick a feature. That's the rate. Three, compare that product and feature costs from one provider to another, and then make a value decision. Talk about service, advice, integrity, your comfort level, communication, those things. Those are things you have to figure out on your own. And then we went a little bit into why I'm doing this show. I'll briefly go over that again. I'm doing it because I love to teach. I love to learn. I am doing some self-promotion here. And I have a quest and passion, which is to teach people how to effectively shop for home loans. And further on, as we move forward over the, over the weeks, I will be helping people how to teach them how to buy and sell homes. And last but not least, my show next week. I'm going to have a guest who I've known for many years. His name is Sean Rimkus, and he is an expert on reverse mortgages. He'll discuss the pros and cons of reverse mortgages and some recent enhancements to the program. By the way, my mortgage company that I work for, LoanZilla, we're approved to do reverse mortgages, but we just recently became approved, and I'm not super comfortable that I have the knowledge base right now to share that with consumers. I'm learning but I would prefer to bring an expert in because I want consumers to get the best possible information. So next week, which will be the 15th, the, uh, the Tuesday 15th at 3 p.m., we will be discussing reverse mortgages. Please tune in. In the meantime, if you want to reach me off air, I am at 206-250-6545. G. McKim at LoanZilla.com. Thank you very much for listening to Home Talk with Greg McKim. Enjoy the rest of your week.